What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Welcome back, everybody, to The Basement Binge. Another episode here with Nolan November, The Dark Knight, continuing with The Dark Knight Trilogy as we make it through eight of Christopher Nolan's films for the month of November. Tons of fun. If you're new here, thanks for being here. We're going to jump right in with the first segment, Two Cents. Two Cents is a spoiler-free segment here at The Basement Binge where I just kind of give my immediate knee-jerk reaction to the film, completely spoiler-free, kind of just some opening thoughts, if you will. If you are somehow an individual who has not seen this film and you're listening to this, well, first, thanks for listening. Second, you need to see this movie. Uh, again, I'm keeping it spoiler-free, but... At the end of Two Cents, I'll tell you how you can see it. So Two Cents, let's get started. I mean, what possibly can I say about this film that hasn't already been said? This film is legendary for many reasons. It has pacing unlike any other film I've seen. It's just a continual form of escalation. It demands answers to difficult questions and forces you to deal with chaos in the form of Heath Ledger's incredible Joker performance. He absolutely disappeared into the role and gave just an amazing performance. Even my wife, who hates these type of action films, that are intense like this, agreed that she thinks this film was good just on Ledger's performance alone. But it isn't just him giving a great performance. Christian Bale is still great here as Batman and slash Bruce Wayne. Michael Caine as Alfred, of course, but also Aaron Eckhart as Harvey Dent. I feel like he gets overshadowed a lot, but his performance is also incredible. The action in this film is also unrelenting and unmatched. The IMAX format in modern blockbusters is actually pioneered by this film with some of the most incredible shots put to film. Watching the film is kind of impossible to explain because this is just such an experience. From start to finish, this is something that you just have to experience. It's all about just seeing it. If you haven't seen it, do it. I've got a screen pass for free. If you just contact me, I can share the screen pass with you. You can see the film for free. I promise it's worth it. The film genuinely is just nonstop. It leaves it all out there and goes 100% in on everything. The film has some of the most remarkable stunt work that's ever been done. But it's hardly talked about because there's so much happening in the film that those things get lost in the conversation. And these stunts are only there to build to the escalation and the intensity of it all. No matter how many times I've seen this film, when it ends and it has that incredible cut with the whoosh of the score and cuts to the title in black, I have the same feeling every time that there is no way a movie can be this good and this gripping. 
but it is. It never ceases to amaze me. Every time for like an hour afterwards, I just keep shaking my head to myself. There's no way it's this good. There's no way. But there is. When you make a sequel, especially after such great film like Batman Begins, you can't come back and step down. And Nolan stepped everything up, not just in the plot or the story, in every element that is involved in filmmaking, it was a step up. And it's not just Christopher Nolan, but his entire team behind him. David Goyer with his story, Nathan Crowley with the production design, Walter Pfizer, the DP, Lee Smith, the editor, James Newton Hatter and Hans Zimmer with a score. To the entire list of stunt coordinators, fight arrangers, stunt riggers, stunt men and stunt women, special effects and visual effects. All of it is just remarkable work that adds up to something that, that truly is incredible. Come on, it's the dark night. I don't need to tell you that. That's all I can say, spoiler free. Let's get into the next segment here. Like I mentioned, I do have a screen pass for this film. If you'd like a screen pass, you can reach out to me social media, email, all of that linked in the show notes. Additionally, you can follow me on Instagram if you want to contribute to these episodes. These Batman Begins episodes, not just Batman, but this Dark Knight trilogy episodes have been produced kind of weird, so I haven't been able to create as many things to get a response. Thank you for everyone who has, but the next few films definitely going to be generating a lot more things for you all to respond to. So check out The Basement Binge on Instagram if you want to participate in that. Additionally, you can follow me on TikTok where I just like to make fun videos. Additionally, one last thing, if you really want to help the show, please go to podchaser.com slash thebasementbinge. If you enjoy this episode, leaving a review is really, really simple, but it does so much to help out the show. I genuinely would really appreciate it if you could leave a review and let me know your real thoughts about the episode. All right, let's move on to the next segment here. Pick your poison. This is the rating scale here of the basement binge that all kind of determines the bingeability of the movie. How would I choose to interact with it after watching it this time? Bottom of the list is never watch it again. That's self-explanatory. Above that is to stream it. It's on a service I'm already paying for. I'm looking for something to watch. I'm scrolling through. I'd be willing to click on it in the right moment. Above that, in the right circumstances, I would rent it. Be willing to pay a few dollars for that. Be that from Redbox, get a DVD or digitally, whatever. Rent it in the right circumstances for a few dollars. Above that, you probably saw it coming, is to buy it. Blu-ray, digital, whatever. Own it, watch it as many times as you you want. Is there any question what this is? 100% this is a buy. I love this movie. This is one of those films that I've probably rewatched the most in my life. Another influential film in my life. Of course, I'm going to watch it. It's, it's an incredible film. On top of that, this film is IMAX enhanced for the Blu-ray. So you get on top of the IMAX aspect ratio, enhanced visuals and sound, which is fantastic to watch at home on the Blu-ray. So not only would I buy it, I would I already do own it, but I would make sure to buy the 4K Blu-ray for that beautiful IMAX experience. Especially the way that this film pioneered IMAX so much and uses the format of IMAX so well, definitely buy. Which makes me wonder, is the Dune movie going to get IMAX enhanced Blu-rays? Who knows, hopefully. Let's move on to the next segment here, Live Up. This is where I talk about my expectations going into the film and was it able to live up to them? This is a difficult segment because how do you properly explain your expectations for The Dark Knight? How can you explain them without using The Dark Knight as an adjective to explain itself? I don't know. But what I can do is I can tell you a story that I kind of teased in Batman Begins. I had mentioned how I watched Batman Begins in a gloomy way and I remember telling my friend about it, Dallin Shields, and he had mentioned well, have you seen the next one? Have you seen The Dark Knight? I was like, there's a sequel. So we were at his house one day. We were talking about how we should watch it. They had an unfinished basement downstairs. It wasn't unfinished, just a basement they weren't using. We'd have Nerf Wars down there or whatever. Great memories down there. One of those days, we decided to watch The Dark Knight. It was me, Dallin, and his older brother, Isaiah. Now, something you got to know about the two of them is both of them are incredibly intelligent. If you want to see Isaiah, he's currently walking across the United States. His YouTube channel will be linked in the show notes because that's Isaiah. 
both incredibly brilliant people. Anyway, we're watching The Dark Knight. I'm watching it for the first time and the movie ends and my jaw is just on the ground. I don't remember too much of that experience except for just being completely blown away and astonished and also really confused at the same time. The ending, while being an amazing, exciting film, was really confusing for me. I'd never seen a film that kind of challenged the hero and ended unhappily for the hero the way that this film does. Batman isn't the hero at the end of this movie. We know he is, but to the city of Gotham, he's the hero they deserved, but not the one they need right now, right? And I just remember sitting there almost emotional trying to ask them how that could be. And just, again, I, I really didn't understand to the extent that I do now, but just being amazed at a film that could end like that, that could not be a typical ending. What does this have to do with my expectations? I don't really know. I just know that this film is special to me in the way that I learned about new types of stories and how challenging they can be to my understanding and my perception of right and wrong and good versus bad. On top of it just being an astonishingly made, intense film that throws you right into it and makes you question those things at the end of the film. It's not one of those you're just turn off like, eh, whatever, you know, Batman's not quite the hero, whatever, goodbye. But genuinely that it, it forces you to contemplate. So this time around, I was hoping to try and take in as much as possible, especially all that happens with Bruce, how he grows. I always get caught up in the Joker, right? His performance and the character of the Joker is one that really draws you in, and this film was great at that. But I wanted to see what, what is Bruce going through? How does Bruce end at the end of this movie? Not Batman, not Gotham, not the Joker, Bruce. Mainly to see if I had any rebuttal to Matt and his claim that this isn't a good Batman movie, but also because I, I was wa- literally watched The Dark Knight, finished it, and then started The Dark Knight Rises, and, I, and I've heard that The Dark Knight Rises not heard, but generally it has the most negative things said about it. And while I didn't necessarily feel that way, I hardly remember The Dark Knight Rises. I just was preparing myself to see how it's able to continue the story because a lot of my memory of it is, has always been, oh, it feels more like a sequel to Batman Begins than The Dark Knight because of the tragic passing of Heath Ledger. So I wanted to see wh- where is Bruce, where is Batman at, and then to prepare myself for The Dark Knight Rises on top of just genuinely expecting it to be the dark night and to be everything that it is. And of course, I got every single one of those things that I wanted. It is the dark night. It has this incredibly intense pace, this ferocity in it. It has incredible performances. It's intense. It is the dark night. It lives up to its legacy in that way. On top of that, it was really interesting to think about Bruce and Batman a lot more than I normally do. But even with that, the thing that stood out to me this time is just how terrifying and destructive the Joker is. I've never realized the colossal amount of damage that happens to the city of Gotham at his hands. A hospital's blown up, like completely, which means a complete relocation of all those patients. MCU is blown up. The tumbler is destroyed. He burns a giant pile of money and overthrows a corrupt corporation, overthrows the standing of criminals, brings down Gotham's white knight, Harvey Dent, and destroys his psyche and his willingness to fight crime and destroys the psyche of the people of Gotham that they really believe everything is worse than it has been before. He does a ton. Once again, the Joker, he draws me in. But I did keep my promise to myself and I observed Batman and, and Bruce. He is a heartbreaking character here. We get Bruce trying hard to be Batman while wanting to be Bruce. The other way around from the last film. But more than ever, the city needs him as Batman. And it's, and it's 
a, a tragedy for him. He loses so much. He gives so much. I also really like how this film isn't a story that you can just explain away. Sure, I could explain the plot to you. It's a pretty basic crime drama, but only in the way that it's mostly just a crime drama. What is the pathos here? The chaos is bad and we have a fight against it? Do we have to deal with consequences while sticking to hope that things will get better? I'm not sure. I'm going to have to try to explain that when we get to fall in, so stay tuned for that, but I'm not, I'm not really sure. The film is heart-pounding, and it's an experience that is made to be that, an experience. Bam, here's the movie. Watch it, be blown away, and then struggle to define where it fits. It's never going away anytime soon, but every single time I just think, how, how can I, I define this movie? How can, how can I understand it more? And isn't it right? It's not that I don't understand the characters. I don't understand their emotional state. What's the message? Is there one? I don't know. We're going to have to figure it out and fall in. The other thing that I just have to mention here in Live Up is the way that a movie ending can set the whole tone for your experience and like of the film, for good or bad. A good movie can end badly and you'll hate the movie. An okay movie can end great and you'll love the movie. So when you get an ending to a film of this high caliber, that is a fantastic ending, it makes the entire thing just undescribable every time. When the movie finishes, I sit there blown away and think to myself, this is the greatest movie ever made. I, I verbally said that out loud because it's just such an overwhelming amount of just awe and amazement and appreciation for what it is that I just, I have to say something about it, even though I'm alone. And whether it's the greatest movie ever made or not, I'm not saying that. In the moment, that is the greatest movie ever made, and it's just incredible. I love watching this movie because of just how inspired and, and awestruck I feel at the end of it. So let's move on to the next segment here, because yes, to answer the question, it lived up. Binge points. Okay, this is a difficult film to have binge points in, but I have a lot of things that I want to say about it. So what I did is I literally just took notes throughout the film of things that I liked or noticed that I just want to mention, be it a quote, a detail, something that happens in the film. I'm just going to run through them chronologically throughout the film as I observe them. One, what an intense prog. I'm going to get back to that in the way that it revolutionized the use of IMAX in an incredible aspect ratio and the feeling of largeness and intensity. One of my favorite movie scenes ever is that prologue. But in the prologue, I love how when the guy has the shotgun and one of the goons asks, he's out, right? And the Joker nods, yes. It's because he technically could be. A shotgun holds five rounds, but if you have one RD in the chamber, it has one in the chamber plus five rounds for a total of six. He shoots five times. The Joker then says he's out because there was one in the chamber. Anyway, I love that detail. Also, the fantastic line, I'm not wearing hockey pads. Have to mention that. I also love how Gary Oldman plays Gordon as a humble, simple man, how he has this mentality that he has to do the best with what he has and his, his commitment to do his best. Other things, Christopher Nolan just has a knack for pointing out and noticing and caring about details. The way that Batman wants a new suit to be able to turn his head. You know, that's something that some directors would just care, change in between films and we'd be okay with it as an audience. We just accept it. Oh yeah, they upgraded the suit. But no, he uses it as a piece of the movie and it's fantastic. The discussion about who appointed Batman, how Bruce asked that and Harvey responds that we did. All of us who stood by and did nothing. The interesting discussion about people taking on responsibility for things they care about in the place where others don't. Interesting conversation. Also in that scene, I love how it shows the romance or relationship between Harvey and Rachel and 
Harvey reaches over and holds Rachel's hands when he says, you know, if I was sneaking out every night, someone would have started to notice. And he reaches over and holds her hand. You see them hold hands from Bruce's perspective. Bruce's eyeline as if you were sitting where Bruce was. And I just think that's fantastic. The great line from Lucius, Bruce says, sonar just like a submarine, a submarine, Mr. Wayne. I love that line. So it's such fun writing. I love the use of the term, I love Harvey Dent. Bruce believes that. I believe on his watch, Gotham can feel a little bit safer. He does. That's what he wants. That's what he's hoping. That's what he wants to inspire people who can do something legitimately that matters to him. That's genuinely his belief. I also love how this film cares to have shot reverse shot, you know, over the shoulder angles where the character who's being shot over the shoulder is actually giving a performance. Sometimes we see over the shoulder shots of that character talking, but it's just a J cut or an L cut of the reverse shot where it's pointed at them, where here we actually get performances, not just blocking. And I love that. A super fun detail is the accountant who tries to blackmail Bruce. Mr. Reese, as in Mr. Reese, as in the Riddler. That's a fun detail. I also love how throughout the film we have this two-tone score between Bruce and Batman and how opposing it is and how well-written each of those pieces are. The fantastic line, the night is darkest just before the dawn. We'll talk about that later. I absolutely love the line where <laughs> the Joker is in the semi-truck and he kind of shoves the dude out of the way after he gets shot and he says, excuse me, I want to drive. And just the way he says it is fantastic. He says, I like this job. I like it. And it's just it, these little things that add to the character more than, than giving lines a certain way could. Even the way that the Joker gets out of the vehicle and stumbles and fires a bunch of bullets. He, he stands up with his finger on the trigger. If that isn't characterization at its best, I don't know what is. I also love the way that this film tells you things as Harvey Dent gets in the car after being saved. The camera lingers on Detective Ramirez who betrayed him and Rachel. I love the way that the Joker delivers the line, evening commissioner. I I think that's fantastic. We also get another gripping scene in this film to follow Batman Begins where Bruce is racing for Rachel. He's in the Batsuit, but it's Bruce racing for Rachel. And to follow that up, the heartbreaking line, she was going away from me, Alfred. Dent doesn't know. He can never know. Heartbreaking. The fantastic line and cut where Bruce asks Alfred what they did to catch the bandit. Alfred says, we burned the forest down. And then it immediately cuts to Harvey, kind of falling apart and becoming Two-Face. I also love when Gordon comes to talk to Harvey, the, we get the slow hint and hiding of Harvey's face, you know? The camera cuts, he moves his head in such a way where we see it, but not quite. And then the fantastic reveal. I love that, so much fun. So much fun in that scene. Also, I never noticed, you know, the iconic scene when the Joker burns a pile. It's not about uh, the money. It's about sending a message. Lao, the Chinese guy, is on top of the pile of money. He burned him alive. Unless I miss something where they grab him off the top. <laughs> he burned him alive. The, the intense shepherd note, the long violin note that's constantly building with the fairies. The citizen goes up to grab the key. And we get this long note that's drug out and just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going and keeps going and doesn't stop until Batman throws Joker off the building. Of course, the great line, an unstoppable force means an immovable object. And how the camera slowly cants over and the camera turns to the Joker's point of view. He is upside down. His perspective of the world is wrong. Such a great camera angle as we come around and we start to understand 
He sees things and he sees them wrong. Such a good scene. Let's get into other binge points here, particularly about IMAX. This, I mean, I love the format of IMAX, but this film has a lot to talk about for IMAX. This was the first major film, you know, an actual blockbuster to use IMAX. Previously, IMAX was mostly, if not only used really for documentary type things. If you don't really know what IMAX is, IMAX is a really large format film, not just in that the aspect ratio is different, but in the size of the film, the actual celluloid is different. It is much larger. About four frames of 35 millimeter film would make up for the horizontal distance of one frame of IMAX. It's intense. It also loads in the camera horizontally instead of vertically. So it's a completely different animal. It's not just like changing the aspect ratio on your phone from 16 by 9 to 4 by 3. You know, it's nothing like that. It's the entire process of filming is changed. Not every movie you go buy IMAX tickets for is filmed with IMAX cameras. They're just digitally altered to fit the IMAX theater. It's completely different. When filming with an IMAX camera like Dune was advertised or Eternals was, it was filmed for IMAX. That means it was filmed with IMAX cameras. The Dark Knight was really the first to do that for a blockbuster. And it's not easy. The camera is bigger. It's heavier. It's also much noisier. And you can only shoot about three minutes of film before needing a reload. So the entire production becomes harder. That is why most dialogue scenes you've seen in an IMAX movie are shot on regular 35 mil. You get that change in aspect ratio with the black letterbox bars. It's because you can't use an IMAX camera because it's too loud. They just were really ambitious in the way they used it. The, the camera had never been used particularly handheld before, so they actually got the smallest IMAX camera that was available and trying to put it on a Steadicam, use it for about 30 minutes, I think, and then it actually broke that his Steadicam because it was so heavy. Luckily, the camera and the camera operator were okay, but the Steadicam broke. So they had to build completely new rigs for everything, the new lev heads, new ultimate arms, everything. When you get an angle of the Joker whipping his head outside of the police car like a dog, they had to build a new rig just for that. Their existing camera rigs wouldn't work. You also have a larger frame, obviously, but also an increased amount in resolution significantly. So it's a lot harder to hide things. Before you could hide wires just outside of the frame or in the back of it and you wouldn't notice. Here in IMAX with a bigger frame, more detail, you notice. It's a lot harder to do these things. So they have this new camera because Christopher Nolan loved the format and thought it added to everything getting larger. Visually, it was a new experience that made things larger and more intense. And it really works. From the moment the prologue starts with a helicopter shot towards the window being blown out, it just feels intense and in your face. And I love the use of the format here. It, the use of aspect ratio to actually mean something instead of just like a cool factor. Genuine use of an interesting aspect ratio. He does it even more so in like Dunkirk and Interstellar where the format when not in IMAX is used to feel really cramped. Here you get those scenes where it switches formats and it feels cramped, but it's not intentional. But initially to feel expansive, I, I love the use of the, the, the aspect ratio here. Now, one particular scene that I want to mention that I, can, I think can explain this really well is when Harvey Dent is ripping off his bandages in the hospital. They use this format in that scene particularly well. It's incredibly effective. Nothing but a giant frame of Harvey in agony ripping off his own bandages in anger with no sound just a large image and it tells so much. So when they were filming this, when they were using these IMAX ca cameras, there was only four cameras in existence. The smallest type of IMAX camera that you had, so of course that it was the lightest, there were only four in the entire world and they were using them all, all four of them on once and they were using them just as intense as they would a regular 35 mil. They actually ended up breaking one 
one of the four cameras in existence they broke. It was when they were filming that big rig scene under the bridge as it's crashing in the cars, pushing them out of the way. One of the cars that the semi hit, hit the lev head on the ultimate arm and actually ended up breaking the camera. And I love how they use that aspect ratio and just get right in the action and aren't afraid of it. But that shot where the camera broke is actually used in the film. So benefits of celluloid there. But that's enough about IMAX. Let's actually talk about these stunts that they got that huge camera right up in. We're going to go through them sequentially. The bus breaking through the wall at the beginning heist. They weren't allowed to break a bus through a real wall for obvious reasons, so they had to build a fake one inside a building and then launch a bus through the fake wall using a pneumatic cannon. But to get the bus in the building to break through the fake wall, they only had the actual doors of the building, you know, the double doors that the bus couldn't fit in. So they actually had to take the bus apart, carry it through the doors, and then put it back together inside the building to then launch it through a fake fake wall. Incredible. The great Hong Kong jump where Batman's standing on the building and jumps off and flies. They had this whole thing planned out with a bungee cord connected to a helicopter where a, a stuntman would jump off the building and bungee jump but because of the helicopter and the way that it would fly off, it would pull him away from the building as if he were flying out away from it. And they practiced a bunch and it looks amazing. But then the bureaucracy of trying to film something like that and make it happen with a helicopter, they just couldn't do it. So they set up this giant green screen area that they built and had a jump of about 120 feet that a stunt person would jump off. It was all green, but they would jump off with rigging down towards the bottom to get this long dive that we see in the film. And then through composition, uh, they combine them together visually. That's also combined with real shots of Christian Bale in the Batsuits standing on the edge of a giant building filmed with a helicopter. That's actually Christian Bale. He wanted to be out there on the ledge. So all that combined. They also destroy the tumbler in this movie. They actually jumped the tumbler over a car and had special effects blow up the back of the tumbler while it was jumping over. That's not a visual effect. That's a special effect. It jumped over the car. Then they also had to build a fake wall and launch the actual tumbler through the car. The scene where the garbage truck gets smashed by the tumbler is a miniature, but the rest of it, including the tumbler being wrecked, is the actual full-size tumbler that they built. Immediately after that, we have the heli crash, which was mostly visual effects for obvious reasons, but a lot of it was referenced from a real stunt pilot flying a helicopter down LaSalle Street in Chicago. Of course, not crashing, but they used the the reference of him flying. Then, after they used the visual effects to show it crashing, they had a heli body on the ground that they launched and rolled down the street on fire towards the SWAT car to get a real actual shot that they could kind of put as bookends between the VFX of the helicopter crashing in the middle. It looks incredible. Immediately after that, we have the legendary truck flip. They flipped a semi-truck over itself the long way. You know what I mean. It's incredible. They used a giant piston, like one of the largest pistons I've ever seen, just shoots. So what a piston is, is it's a ton of pressurized air that has this big metal cylinder that's connected to the car on a cannon. So the cannon fires all this pressurized air and it pushes this cylinder out from the bottom of the car and that it, you know, pushes off the ground and forces the car to go over. They use pistons all the time in car stunts. This one was just especially big. And it was dangerous to do because they're in the banking district of Chicago on a real street. So the truck has to perfectly tip the right way. It can't veer side to side. I also loved when as I was watching the VFX, they just like threw this out really quickly who the driver was. And they showed a shot of him and I, it, it shocked me. He's this old guy. His name's Jim Wilkie. 
I, I searched everywhere for his name. I couldn't figure it out. He's been doing stunts since 1983. So at the time of filming, he's at least at a minimum 50 years old. And he's in a semi that's being flipped over. And now he's probably in his late 60s, maybe even 70s. I just thought it was amazing. I mean, they said his name and showed him walking by and he, he was balding and had gray hair. And I was like, wait, that was him? Uh, so then I looked it up. I think it's awesome. The Lamborghini crash, that was a real Lamborghini. They only shot it once. Had the perfect shot. Gotham General Hospital being blown up. It was actually an old building, a real building that they got permission to demolish. So they went in and rigged it for genuine demolition like you would do with a traditional building demolition that's not being filmed. But they, they also rigged it in a way that would make it look like when it fell, it had been bombed and not intentionally demolished. So kind of a combination of both. Then they went in and added a bunch of special effects explosions to make it just look fantastical. It was about three weeks of work just to blow it up and make it look intense. Christopher Nolan said that he wanted to blow up more things than anybody else had, and they wanted to build to a huge explosion. And they, they did, sure enough. And then the last one to mention here, those guys hanging out the building in the finale. Those are actually four guys hanging out the side of a real building that's under construction by rope, hundreds of feet in the air. Of course, there were pads on the building. Those were all removed digitally, but they really slid off the side of the building and hung there by rope. And as I watched these behind-the-scenes clips, I was really impressed with something, particularly with the stunts that they were talking a lot about. I was impressed with the level of safety. The second that they would yell cut on a stunt, there were tons of people just rushing to the scene to make sure everybody was okay. They take serious precaution in the way they plan things out and test things out and rig things for months before doing it. And then when doing it, they're very, very safe. And, and I was impressed by that. It, it was great to see how frequently that, you know, in a behind the scenes thing, you don't need to mention their safety, but just, and it's not that they were intentionally like bragging about their safety. It's just, it's such a big part of their production and planning that it's naturally something they talk about when explaining this ton. And I was really impressed by the level of safety. The other thing that I was impressed by was that there's a ton of stunts in this movie. And when watching it, it's all going so quickly and so incredibly paced that you hardly have time to take it all in and take in what it means. When the garbage truck shoves the SWAT truck out of the way, you're just thinking about the story, about the intensity and the risk of the chase and how this backup of a SWAT team is now gone and how Harvey Dent is being isolated more and more by the Joker. You're not thinking about how they actually had to launch a real SWAT van off a bridge into a river in Chicago. I mean, that's incredible that they did that, but it's also how it should be. These things, these stunts should always be to the service of the story. It's also just the nature of putting your pedal to the metal the way that this film does. Things are going to fly by quick. I just am bringing this all up because I think the stunt work in The Dark Knight is insane and should be talked about a lot more up there with all things Mission Impossible. Let's briefly move on to some other behind the scenes things. The score, for example, particularly the score of The Dark Knight, the use of the shepherd note is incredible. You all know the score. The simplest of sounds and how intense they are. It sounds like mayhem, uneasy, uncomfortable but also personal in the way that it really draws you into the Joker. Like I mentioned, it's, it's terrifying how you're uncomfortable, but drawn in at the same time. I also love the use of the shepherd note, like I mentioned, particularly with the bat pod. Also, I forgot to mention, they built an actual bat pod. Like, just think about that thing in the engineering and, and physics behind it that they got that thing to work. The other thing that I forgot to mention with the bat pod is when building it, they had a plan, that little backpack in the china jump that big building jump we see batman for a brief second where his cape isn't flowing behind him it's in packed up in a little backpack type thing that was the plan to have him anytime he was on the bat pod to have the cape kind of come up in this backpack like thing but when filming it with a cape because they didn't want it to be sucked up into the tire and pull the driver off but when filming they saw that it, it would lift up and catch the air immediately and never get caught and it, it worked so well 
I mean, that those cave flowing shots are sweet. But speaking of the Mad Pod and back to the Shepherd note, Christopher Nolan didn't want it to shift. He wanted it to sound like a continually rising, moving force that was nonstop. So they created the Shepherd note based off electric car motors for the Mad Pod. Those are all the bench points. Let's move on to the next segment. Least and likes. This is my least favorite scene and my favorite scene. I don't have a least favorite scene. Okay? I don't have one. The film's incredible. My favorite scene, it's really hard to pick. Honorable mentions are, of course, the ending. Also, the chase for Harvey Dent with the SWAT that I was just talking about and the semi-truck and all that and the bat pod and the tumbler breaking. Incredible scene. But my favorite, of course, is a prologue. In all of its IMAX glory, it just immediately brings you right into the film. What an incredible introduction to the film and to the character of the Joker. And what a great use of the IMAX format. So let's move on to the last segment here. This is going to be tricky. Fall In. If you're new to the Basement Binge, what is Fall In? Well, it's where I talk about the meanings, messages, lessons, takeaways, themes, whatever. Making movies meaningful, as the tagline for the Basement Binge is. This is that segment where I try and do that. I knew it was coming, and I am unprepared. The Dark Knight is an incredible film, don't get me wrong. This just isn't, at least in my perspective, not the primary intent of this film. So as I sit here trying to think about it, there's a few things that come to mind. The first is just the opposing perspectives of the Joker versus Batman, where the Joker believes people are only as good as the world allows them to be, and how he's simply just ahead of the curve, creating madness and chaos. While Batman believes that there are people who are ready to believe in good, there are people who are good, and that people are good, and that that is worth something. And I don't have much to declare on that besides simply saying I am fully in the camp of Batman, that people are good, and I believe that people are good, and that they can believe in good, even when there is a lot of chaos happening around. And we don't need the Dark Knight to show us that. I think we have all experienced that over the past year and a half or so. Things have been weird. And there has been a lot of chaos and there has been a lot of bad things and and bad people, so to speak. But there's also been an incredible amount of good. And I believe that people believe in good. But more so than that, what comes to mind is the contrast between Joker and Batman in selflessness of Batman versus the selfishness of Joker. The Joker clearly is in it for himself. You know, he doesn't have some message that he's trying to take to Gotham. He doesn't have some weird self-righteous idea that he's here to cleanse the world of the, the criminals and wickedness in Gotham, like the League of Shadows or anything like that. He even tells Batman that he completes him, you know, almost as if he's just having fun with it. You can see the personal pleasure he gets in tormenting Batman. Clearly, he's in it for himself. While Batman is not in it for himself. He is in it for the people of Gotham. It isn't duty, it isn't power or responsibility that draws Batman. And I think that that's why he's a character that's so interesting. We all know the line for Spider-Man. What brought Spider-Man into the fight is the power and the responsibility that came with that that was randomly put into his life. Batman put himself in the fight out of a care for his city. It's a very, very selfless thing continually, whether it's in Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, or The Dark Knight Rises, Batman and Bruce Wayne wants to do good for the city. Even when he is willing to turn himself in, it's because he wants to do good for the city. And so he does, even at the end, as he lies. We see the repercussions of this more in The Dark Knight Rises, but just to take it at face value in The Dark Knight, 
he chooses to be those things. And in his own words, it's because he can be whatever Gotham needs him to be. Because we have to chase him. Okay, we're going in! Go, go! Move! He didn't do anything wrong. Because he's the hero Gotham deserves. But not the one it needs right now. So we'll hunt him. Because he can take it. Because he's not our hero. He's a silent guardian. A watchful protector. A dark knight. I think about how Batman, or Bruce, is willing to recognize what Gotham needs that Gotham needs to have their faith rewarded, that they can do good, that they can overcome the criminals, not someone in a suit. And so while Harvey Dent is the hero Gotham needed, but not the one they deserved, Batman is what they deserve. That's what they've done. They've, they, as we talked about earlier, they stood by and watched. And so they appointed Batman, as they talked about earlier. Batman is the type of hero that arises when you have a city like Gotham. But when you have a city like Gotham, they don't need a hero like Batman. They need a hero like Harvey. They need someone who can inspire them to do the good themselves. And it's great that Batman recognizes that. The willingness to be hunted, to take the fall for something he didn't do for the selflessness of a city. Now we can get into the argument next episode about whether that lie is worth it or not. But the intention is to give something, give hope back to Gotham, to give them what they need, maybe not what they deserve, but what they need. And it comes from a genuine love of Gotham. So although Batman didn't do anything wrong, he'll run because they have to hunt him. Thank you so much for everybody for listening to this episode. It's been a blast to produce. If you want to be a part of these episodes, get in contact with me, email me, follow on social media on Instagram, putting out things all the time to get all of your thoughts about these films as they're coming up. The Dark Knight Rises is already recorded, so that episode should be coming very soon, probably the day after this goes up, so it's probably available. But coming next is Inception and Interstellar, so get excited for those two films because I'm excited. Let me know what you think of them. Get in contact with me. I'd love to share your thoughts on the podcast. Once again, this is The Basement Binge. My name is Harrison, and that's all for now. Ciao, ciao. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.